0: This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends, and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. Thank you for listening.
1: Hello and welcome to the Macro Viewpoint from HSBC Global Research, our weekly podcast featuring the views of leading HSBC analysts on the outlook for the global economy and markets. I'm Piers Butler. And I'm Chris brown
2: Humes. Coming up on this week's podcast, India's COVID-19 situation is raging out of control, with new cases skyrocketing over recent weeks. We get the latest and what it means for the economic recovery from Pranjal Bandari, chief India economist. COVID-19
1: cases also remain elevated across much of Europe. Simon Wells, chief European economist, brings us up to date on that and the key takeaways from the latest ECB meeting.
2: And with a strong headline GDP growth,
1: is China's economy in danger of overheating? We get the thoughts of Xu Hongbin, Chief China Economist. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, the 22nd of April 2021. Our full disclosures and disclaimers can be found in the link attached to this podcast. We start this week in India where the COVID-19 picture has deteriorated rapidly. New cases have picked up dramatically during April, with the country hitting a global daily record of 315,000 new cases today. For more on this and the implications on the economy, let's speak to Pranjal Bhandari, Chief India Economist. Pranjal, welcome to the podcast.
0: Great to be here, Piers.
1: So every day we're getting new headlines in the press about the worsening situation for COVID-19 infections in India. At the start of the year, India seemed to be in great shape. So what happened and and what's the latest data?
0: Uh, Yes, yes, Piers. You know, this is a very infectious second wave that has sprung out of nowhere. It's a new strain that is spreading like wildfire across the country. Just to give you some numbers, you know, India is seeing about 300,000 new cases per day. And last year in the first wave, uh, at peak, it was about 97,000 new cases. Uh, the mortality rate remains low, but just the sheer number of uh, fatalities that we're seeing per day has risen sharply, and the health infrastructure is quite overwhelmed. There are shortages of beds, medicines, and oxygen.
1: Could an acceleration in the vaccine program that's on the way make a difference?
0: Yes, I think so. I think uh, vaccines are probably the best stimulus that can be given to the economy right now. But the vaccination rate currently is about 3 million jabs a day. Uh, and only those who are over the age of 45 years are eligible. But this criteria is being widened. Starting from 1st May, all people over the age of 18 years will be able to get a vaccine. We're also expecting that there will be an increase in the supply of vaccines uh, around the middle of the year. So if you know we bring all of this together, and if the vaccination rate rises from 3 million doses per day now, to about 5 million doses by August, it could cover about 50% of the population by the end of the calendar year.
1: So all of this is likely to have an economic impact. How has it affected your outlook for the economy?
0: Yes, for sure. You know, many local lockdowns are back in play. Maharashtra announced a 15-day complete lockdown. Delhi followed up by announcing a six-day full lockdown, the growth cost of just these two could be 1% of the country's GDP in the June quarter and could actually rise further if other uh, states also replicate these lockdowns. We also have a recovery tracker, which has already fallen 10 percentage points from the February highs. Unemployment rates have begun to rise, particularly in urban India. high touch services have been impacted. Electricity consumption, which is generally the more resilient part of the economy, has also begun to fall. Uh, In fact, we think this is going to impact GDP numbers. Uh, We're expecting a negative year-on-year GDP growth print in March, and a negative quarter-on-quarter print in the the quarter ending June. Uh, I also think this will have implications for monetary policy and fiscal policy. It is likely to delay the exit of the central bank from very loose monetary policy. We now expect that the central bank will start on its gradual exit only in the fourth quarter of the year when vaccination reaches critical mass. You know, earlier we were expecting that the exit could be- begin in the middle of 2021. Uh, in terms of fiscal finances, I think there are going to be some new challenges that come up, for instance, demand for more social welfare schemes, weaker tax revenues, and uncertainties around asset sales. So I think all parts of the economy are going to get impacted.
1: Pranjal, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Great to be here.
2: So let's get the latest now on the COVID situation here in Europe, where cases remain elevated. And we'll get an update on the outcome of the latest ECB meeting. Simon Wells, Chief European Economist, joins us to discuss both these topics. So Simon, we've just been hearing there about the alarming COVID situation in India. What is the latest in Europe
3: Well, uh, in Europe, Chris, the news is slightly better in that uh, case numbers are now largely uh, stable. There are still some rising uh, hospital admissions um, in Germany and they're creeping up in France. But generally, I think we're seeing uh, now a stabilisation in case numbers uh, as a result uh, of the lockdowns. And we're also seeing in the EU a big step up in the pace of vaccination. Uh, The EU wants to vaccinate 70% of the population by the end of the summer. Uh, And a few months ago, that was uh, looking very challenging indeed. There's still work to be done in terms of increasing the pace further, uh, but it doesn't look quite as unrealistic uh, as it once did. And in that sense, that is also good news.
2: Meanwhile, this continues to cost governments quite a lot of money um, and it's pushing up budget deficits.
3: That's right. I mean, we've also seen, um, I guess, some favourable news on the fiscal side, too. So uh, a new 40 billion euro stimulus package has been announced in Italy, uh, for example. That means uh, its deficit target for this year has been raised from 7 percent of GDP to 11.8 percent of GDP. That means it will have uh, one of the highest deficits in the Eurozone this year, Uh, but it does mean Uh, that governments are uh, ramping up the response. And importantly, uh, we've had a ruling from the German Constitutional Court, uh, which has ruled that the German government can sign up to the EU's 750 billion euro recovery fund, uh, which is good news. It removes one risk of delay. But uh, the court also reminded us that to be legal, any recovery fund has to be limited in scope and limited in time. and it did leave the door open to overturning this ruling once it's had uh, time to take a more considered judgment but in terms of removing risks of further delays that was also a positive step on the fiscal front.
2: So you you mentioned the fiscal issues there turning to the monetary side uh, we've
3: just had an ECB meeting today have we learned anything new? Well, not much, to be honest. It it wasn't a particularly exciting meeting. Uh, there were no changes in policy, no changes in the statement uh, with the ECB simply reiterating um, from the last meeting uh, that it intends to significantly increase the purchase pace of bonds under its uh, pandemic emergency purchase programme. Uh, so in that sense, it was just reiterating uh, the previous meeting. However, uh, further ahead, it is going still to face some challenges. Uh, it was questioned a lot at the press conference on its communications. We think that to avoid a cliff edge in central bank bond buying, when that pandemic emergency purchase program is scheduled to end next March, it will probably need to do some more loosening. And we think it will revert back to its normal program of bond buying, the so-called asset purchase program. And so it might soften uh, the impact of of the end of PEP with an announcement at some point this year. But the April meeting itself uh, was no great shakes. Simon,
1: thanks very much for your comments today. Thank you. One economy that is firing on all cylinders is China. Growth recovered to pre-pandemic levels at the end of 2020, leading some commentators to ask whether the economy runs the risk of overheating. Let's hear from Chu Hongbin, chief China economist. So Hongbin, could China's economy overheat in the coming years?
4: As we all know, the Chinese economy has been rebounded very, very strongly, particularly in the first quarter this year. Uh, partly because the low base effect, we have something like above 18% year-on-year GDP growth rate. But I have to say that a significant part of that is coming from the low base effect. If you strip off the low base effect, the underlying growth rate is probably something around 5 to 6%, which is still below the pre-pandemic level, and also below the potential growth rate. So therefore the risk for economy to overheat, in our view, will be limited.
2: So what is China's potential growth rate, do you think?
4: The consensus view seems to suggest that China's potential growth rate has been slowing quite fast uh, in recent years and is heading towards around 5% in the coming years, mainly due to the shrinking labour force and the rising debt burden, and we disagree. Uh, we believe that the potential growth rate for China is still going to remain above 6.5% in the coming years. This is mainly due to the fact that the improvement in the human capital is likely to offset the negative impact of the shrinking labor forces. And how did you arrive at that 6.5% potential growth figure? There are three key components, labor, and capital and the total factor productivity. Uh, on the labor front, China's working age populations already passes peak and is likely to slow in the, in the coming years. But however, the human capital is going to improve significantly. So that will more than offset the negative impact from the shrinking workforce in the coming years. On the capital front, and China's capital stock per worker is still significantly below than the, the level of the developed world, uh, which means uh, plenty room for China to do catch up in terms of the capital deepening. And uh, the latest five-year plan uh, has already introduced a set of policies We encourage the private companies to boost their investment, particularly in the high-tech sector, which we believe will continue to increase the capital stock per worker in the coming years. Lastly, but not least, the total factor productivity, which is mainly driven by the innovation technology progress. China has has already uh, made an impressive progress in terms of building the innovation capacity, uh, and the again the five, new five-year plan has uh, doubled down the efforts and the investment in the R&D, and also the tax incentives for the private sector to boost the RD spending. All this means that we like to see acceleration in terms of the piece of the innovation and technological progress that's going to continue to support the total factor productivity in the coming years.
2: What about the debt level of the state-owned enterprises? Is that a risk to China's capital investment
4: capability? Yeah, I'm sort of right, The uh, very high debt level is going to constrain the SOE's investment in the future. Uh, for some SOE's, it's not about the investment, it's all about, uh, maybe it's about the investment and in order to really consolidate the balance sheet. But the private sector and the private forums in China don't have the, you know, over leverage issues. If anything, they are still underleveraged because the state banks has been reluctant to lend to them. So going forward, the further progress in financial reform, uh, we believe, is likely to increase the credit access to the private sector. Uh, that's likely to encourage the private companies to make the investment. Uh, that, in our view, is going to help to support the growth. Hongbin, thanks very much. My pleasure. So that's all from
1: us today. Thanks to Pranjal Bhandari, Simon Wells, and Chu Hongbin for talking
2: to us. From Piers and me, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week.
0: Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast, or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.